0: Welcome back to the Be Movies. This is a podcast looking at 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade. Volume 3 is all about the 90s, baby. This is episode 61, Clueless. Uh, My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined in this endeavour by Ben Phillips. Ben, are you bugging? I'm not bugging. Okay. The number of times bugging is said in a serious context makes me delighted. How are you, though? I'm good. I'm good. I've had I, I had a day in the cinema yesterday after a month off. Same. Saw, we both I, we're so codependent. We're buying houses. We went to the cinema for the first time in ages.
1: Yeah, but you went to go see a recent movie. I went to go okay. catch up on movies that came out in July that I hadn't seen yet.
0: I mean, it, it's only just turned September. But this yeah. is
1: true, but like, I, I had to go see Space Jam, and I had to go see did have the Suicide Squad. As the basketball fan of the two of us, you went to see Space Jam. So, so, so it, it's bizarre. They introduced the entire team of, like, the goon squad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew Damien Lillard was, well, like, one of the basketball players. And I'm uh-huh. like, why, is, why isn't he here? He gets, like, a huge introduction halfway yeah. through the game where he, like, just stops time. And it's like, yeah. what is happening right now? Damn mm-hmm. time, baby. Yeah. Uh, and then he gets old when they make time go Oh, shit no. Oh man,
0: Space Jam spoilers for those who wanted to go
1: in fresh, uh, when they obviously go and see it. My favourite part of the movie was when they referenced that Warner Brothers franchise that I really like. Which one? All of them.
0: Yeah, (laughs) okay, sorry, I'm sleepy. (laughs) Whereas I went and saw Shang-Chi, which uh, is a very fun time. Uh, I'm
1: excited to finally see it when I return from the north next time
0: we record. Now, when you say the north, do you mean the southern version of the north, which is anywhere oh. north of like Birmingham? Or no, where? I'm
1: going to like the most northerly point of the of England you can go to. Okay, okay. Thank you for clarifying, England. I'm, I'm going s- to Carlisle. Okay, I'm literally going north of the of Hadrian's Wall. Okay, okay. Yeah,
0: keeping those savages out.
1: This has nothing to do with clueless. So no. Yeah, he's- it is context for England. It is. Which is the, the country where the novel Emma was written. <laughs> there you go.
0: Look at all this hosting. He's got an under his belt, and now he's a Segway master. Uh, yes, famously, loosely based on Emma. This was written and directed by Amy Heckerling uh, of Fast Times at Richmond High, and look who's talking fame. Fox wanted her to do another teen project, and she was sick of teens at this point, so her, like, condition was she basically wanted to take shots at popular kids, and she wanted the main character to be almost mentally ill in the way that she is just positive in the face of absolutely everything, and then that reminded her of Emma, and then I don't know if that is what caused it, because to me, while there is definitely still an element of, like, dunking on popular valley girls and everything... I do think it is kinder to its characters than maybe that original condition for taking the movie on <laughs> would would yeah, I mean, lead you to it's,
1: believe. It's one hundred percent like a, a like a sympathetic dunk on these characters. Exactly, like yeah. it doesn't undermine any of their like intelligent. Like they're obviously all like intelligent people, even if they're just a bit vapid. Yeah, I guess yeah, the yeah. like like they well, they know what they want. They yeah. like go after their goals. It's it's a really interesting like. Like line to toe that Heckling manages to do, where it's like it's very obviously taking the piss out of this, yeah. and it's so obviously incredibly heightened, but you don't come away going like the only moments where I'm kind of like I'll share like stop <laughs> is is all the stuff with the drive of the cars mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is is the only part of the movie where I'm just kind of going like ah, the, the, like you're being a bit too <laughs> flippant with yeah yeah and and um yeah so like.
0: Like many of Heckling's projects, this was spun into a TV show. Um, I did not know there was a Fast Times TV show. And also a Look Who's Talking one, kind of. And I I remember zero of it, but I know that I watched a few episodes of the Clueless TV show, which replaces Alicia Silverstone with Rachel Blanchard. Yeah, but more of the cast came back for that than I remembered. It's, It's basically everyone except for Alicia Silverstone... Paul Rudd isn't in it regularly, but does make a guest appearance. Britney, but as a different character. Yes. Like... Same with Brittany Murphy, same with Breckin Meyer. But like, Stacy Dash is in it, and, and, and Donald Faison, and the teachers, and everybody, yeah, yeah. Anyway, all of this is my long way of going about. For me personally, I, I would have watched Clueless in like, I don't know, the late 90s, early 2000s, and just liked it as a product of its time. And then I think... As I got a few years older, I was like, this is actually a little bit like smarter and like more sincere than it appears. When it's like, oh, look, it's just pretty people being rich and ha-ha-ha. And then, like, yeah, I came to appreciate it. this is actually quite a nice little film. And I think that's actually most people's, like, it, it has a positive reputation. And, and like, some people use the word a cult following,
1: but I mean, it did pretty well. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as cult, but um, I mean, they made a TV show based on it. So obviously, exactly, like yeah. <laughs> some, like maybe it's like that thing where, like, maybe it's DVD sales, maybe it or VHS sales, I guess. In, I think in and, nice you five. know it's on
0: TV a lot, and I think it's something that like when it's on, it's like oh yeah, I oh, watch Clueless. But yeah, that's that's me. For you, is, I mean, you are a couple of years younger canonically than me.
1: But <laughs> what, what is your relationship with Clueless like? I think it was just in that era where, like, to be honest, I, I imagine the reason I watched this, and uh, it's hard to remember, would have been watching Mean Girls, really liking Mean Girls, and right. then all the chatter online basically being like, oh, you need to watch 90s Mean Girls, essentially.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, obviously, very different movies, and I think, but obviously, there's a lot of similarities between the two of them. Mm. Obviously, one's a more outsider look at popular girlism and all the rest of it, but. You can tell that Tina Fey probably poured over the script for for Clueless when she was writing Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean it's just it's just one of the, it's again it's one of those ones that you check off, especially if you're enjoying a genre of movie because Clueless kind of stands head and shoulders above yeah. most other teen comedies. Like I, I I sent a text to a group of friends last night and I was like, if we're making like the Mount Rushmore of teen girl high school films, Clueless, Mean Girls smart, like what's what's number four and i think we kind of settled on like heathers as like a fourth yeah. one yeah. and you kind of nail like 80s 90s 2000s 2010s um they just tend to age better than
0: the like male-centric counterparts which tend to have a lot of like gross like s- sexual concepts and then like off- you
1: know offensive for the sake of it kind of stuff um i also think there's a level of all of the teen girl ones are a lot more heightened. Like, you watch Superbad, yeah. and it's like, we're just presenting to you, like, this could happen to a teenage boy kind mm. of idea. Whereas in Clueless, it's like, it's so heightened and kind of, like, otherworldly. Yeah, and it feels like some sort of weird dreamland, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and that's the same thing. Like, Heather's feels... Obviously, Heather's is heightened in considering the fact that, like, there's so much murder. And I think there is, like... a. Clueless in particular is that one where the heightening and the almost parody like feel of it mm. make it stand the test of time better than something that was just produced in the 90s like yeah. you would rather watch Clueless than watch something like the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> <laughs> because Buff of the Vampire Slayer feels like it's just something that was written in the 90s yeah, yeah, and yeah. so all of its decisions that it's making are just, well this is what people dress like, whereas Clueless feels like, no let's take this to an extreme, let's have one of the opening scenes of this movie be Cher figuring out what clothes she's going to wear for the day by scrolling through like a, a computer <laughs> program a that's totally cool. normal teenage life, as she puts it <laughs> and, and, like, and again I also think it's helped by the fact that like, yes it feels completely 90s, but like there's not that many pop culture references to like the nineties in the movie. Like hmm. most of the things that the movie pulls from are older things that have kind of stood the test of time a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, and like, and, yeah, yeah. It's it's references to Emma. It's references to to Nietzsche. It's references to like <laughs> men are from Mars, women are from Venus kind of things. Like, yeah, yeah like it could,
0: you know. I mean, it no, isn't quite, but it could conceivably have, like, invented everything within it. Like, it's all, like, original creation stuff, for all you know. As it, I mean, there are a few things, like, you know, they're watching Spartacus and some like it hot and, and stuff like that. And um, But yeah, I mean, you could easily have zero knowledge of any of the stuff happening within it and still have a good time. Not a beloved movie in this household because of an infamous evening where <laughs> I was staying at my partner's uh, college and it was a you know it's, it, it's halls it's a dorm room it's small so like she her side of the bed was by a wall and i fell asleep on my side with clueless on and i kept waking up thinking i'd only dozed off for like two minutes and rewinding the film not knowing i had in fact been falling asleep for like half an hour at a time so she was trapped there and I made her watch Clueless about five times in a row as I kept waking up and just hitting rewind and then falling asleep again. So, yeah, um, completely incapable of enjoying it because of that. It didn't matter what it was. <laughs> so whenever Clueless is mentioned around these parts,
1: there is a bit of a, uh, a scold that comes my way. Anyway, (laughs) I mean, that sounds like a terrible way to watch a movie if you're just watching like, you're watching a movie and then you're rewinding for like 15 minutes or so and then you're not watching it to get a flow, you're just kind of going like, I don't know, you're almost mementoing it in some ways. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and it's like the first 15 minutes, first 10 minutes, first half hour or whatever, like over and over and over again. Just no movie is supposed to be watched that way. Um, so yes, many an apology has gone her way, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So we, we, we did allude to. Colt, perhaps not being an accurate description, uh, it was made on a budget of $12 million. Uh, only $200,000 spent on wardrobe, despite the many outfit changes.
1: Uh, it some, made... some, some costume designers spent a lot of time in LA thrift shops. Yes, uh, she said that she wanted
0: them to look like they're products of the mall, not that they're models, and that makes perfect sense. The most expensive outfit, of course, being the yellow-checked, like iconic outfit from the beginning. Uh Iggy Azalea basically made a music video where <laughs> she was just Cher from Clueless. And that outfit, you know, you see that come up time and time again. So, like, th- this movie, I mean, Legacy might be going a bit far, but it, it, it has a recognisable pop culture moment, and most movies can't claim that. So, yeah. But, uh, as I alluded to, uh, made on a budget of $12 million, made fifty six point six in the end. Benjamin, how did it do on its opening weekend?
1: Actually, pretty well. Like opens number two, $10.6 million on its opening weekend. Behind the juggernaut is Apollo 13, mm-hmm. uh, which has made $12.5 million in its fourth weekend, uh, down amid 20% from the weekend beforehand. It is in the top five, along with nine months, Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, and Speeches. <laughs> God, sorry. No, go on. However, I do want to draw attention to a little movie at number 11, Mm -hmm. Uh, on the box office this week, which is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Fuck yeah. uh, Making $1.4 million in its fourth weekend. So I decided to do some digging. Right. As is my want. Yes. Uh, So four weekends ago. So we're going from July 21st, 1995 to June 30th, 1995. Mm -hmm. Apollo 13 opens to $25 million. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Pocahontas is still hanging around. Batman Forever is hanging around. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers opens number four with $13 million. $3 million more than Clueless. Ouch. Uh, well, The Power of Ivan Ooze, I suppose. <laughs> what, which one of those has stood the test of time, Matthew? Uh, you can tell because we're discussing one of those movies in this podcast <laughs> and it's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers.
0: Yeah, but Clueless doesn't end with Van Halen's dreams, so... Maybe we should restart this episode. No, uh, it it, it was what it was, wasn't it? It delighted a few of us. (laughs) Most parents were repulsed. uh, Yeah, but then for the dads, you've got Delphine, the the hot lady who gives them their powers. You're welcome, dads. Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess speaking of dads, I mean, it's a very strange place to start, but I did have a whole thing noted down about how Dan as as Cher's father, Mel, delightfully furious throughout this movie.
1: So I was going to suggest we kind of like rather than do like throw our favourite lines at certain points do like a top five of our favourite lines from Clueless at some point in this. So have a think of that whilst we progress through it. But I was just an early shout out which will probably end up in my top five. His line of Anything happens to my daughter, I got a forty-five and a shuffle, I doubt anybody would miss you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meeting Ty. Yeah, you know, this is my friend Ty. Get the hell out of my chair. Or get out of my chair. And uh, you know, the same scene as you just alluded to. I have to make him wait a while. Then he can wait outside. <laughs> like you know, just, at all times, incredibly angry. And then that all pays off with like when she is having the genuine crisis. You know, because she's had many mini crises, crises even. But then when she's like actually in her feelings about Josh and everything, and she's pacing around, they have the actual sincere heart to heart when he's like, you know, no one is more beautiful than you. You You are the nicest girl in the world. You run this house. You make sure I eat right. Everything. And, you know, I think that goes back to what we said at the start, where it's like, on the surface, it's just, haha, the dad's really angry. But then it pays off with that, like, nice bit of heart and sincerity at the end of
1: the really. maybe Amy Heckling kind of went into this going like I'm going to write a scathing indictment of people who didn't like me when I was in high school kind of thing <laughs> but obviously at the time that she's writing this so what it's, it's 95 she's currently 67 so 30 years ago she would have been like mid 30s or whatever
0: Yeah.
1: like you have to imagine that like she doesn't know how teens are and obviously she, she well researched kind of like what teens were like but ex- exaggerated all that stuff but it, feeling she like fell in love with the characters a little bit as she's writing it and maybe it's like transitioning from accidental Emma Riff into on purpose Emma Riff that like <laughs> you absorb some of Jane Austen's feelings for the characters and whatnot but like it is I, I do think it is the fundamental thing that makes this movie good and, mm-hmm. and great and whatnot is is the fact that it loved the characters so much. Yeah it, it
0: definitely does and I think Cher most of all you see that with of like you know presented to us as a ditz, as an idiot, but, like, very quickly established as actually, surprisingly, whether she means to be or not, she is accidentally insightful and and she is non-stereotypically clever. So it's like, you know, I mean, you get the, like, really clumsy metaphor about Haitian refugees and her trying to organise a garden party, that while it is very clumsy... Is not a million miles off a sincere thought about like if we just pulled up a chair and everyone could have a good
1: time. kind of thing. I think the thing is like, all of her speeches in debate class, like fundamentally, while well, Sean is correct that like they're not well researched, they're not well structured and anything like that, but like there is a kernel of empathy and like well meaningness in there, and Absolutely, yeah, and it and it makes you more annoyed at Amber, like when she just goes like I can't, I can't even engage with this it's bullshit. It's, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And like, you know,
0: I mean, one of the, the, the plot is actually, I think that belies its ties to Emma in that it has this sort of intertwining plot where it all ends up weaving together in the end. But one of the like, I mean, you could say there are four major plot points if you include them playing matchmaker with the teachers, but really there's three and like tie the new girl uh, as the titular clueless girl, um, but then that, um, you know, Sh- Cher ends up acknowledging she is the one that is clueless, etc. But taking Ty under their wing and everything, and, like, she, sin- she sincerely wants to help her, and it's not like a, you know, you see all these movies where it's like, I bet I could make this tragic girl prom queen, and, you know, all this sort of shit that you would see, and all, you know, and then the bet comes out, but he's sincerely fallen in love with her, and all that shit. She sincerely wants to help her, and, and she, she does end up being empathetic towards all these characters and genuinely wanting to donate uh, uh, humanitarian aid. And, like, she even ends up forming a minor bond with with Travis, the Stoner character, who throughout she's been like, ugh, go away, kind of thing. (laughs) But, yeah, like, there is that nice, empathetic person underneath
1: the whole time. I I think what makes it work with Ty is that, like, Ty seems to genuinely enjoy her makeover, like obviously she still has her personality underneath where she's like a bit of a stoner and like Mm -hmm. she's got the Hots for Travis and stuff like that but like, it doesn't feel like a a 180 degree shift away from what her personality is when they make her into a popular girl, it's just like oh no, look, we can make you this, And and like, I think a worse movie would kind of have her resent the fact that she was doing this or like at the end she turns back into the stoner character when she's Travis, but it's like, no, she keeps
0: mm.
1: the, like the makeover parts of herself, like the, the... And I don't want to say bettering herself because it, it isn't better to be a, a, a dropout versus a popular girl, but like mm. it shows her a new side of herself and like manages to to thread that needle in a very interesting way.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, that she like right off the bat... <laughs> Like she's clearly has an instant connection with Travis, and 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 Cher just tries to push her towards Elton, and like it it fucks me up that Jeremy Sisto was ever a young person, just a perpetual middle aged man to me.
1: What's what's your Jeremy Sisto background? Is it like six feet under? <laughs> is it suburgatory? Is it uh, suburgatory
0: a bit? Yeah, I'm um, a little bit of six feet under. Yeah, made a pretty good Batman voice in the New Frontier. Um, <laughs> underrated. But yeah, like, to see him here as as this teenage, like, hyper... I mean, I know this is all fucking late 20-year-olds playing 15-year-olds, as is always the way. I think Stacey Dash was the oldest at 29. Um, actually older than Paul Rudd, who's supposed to be older than all of them. But, you know, it is clearly adults playing teenagers, but that's how these things go. But yeah, like, seeing him as this, like ridiculously deep-voiced, like, wealthy teenager, like, Cher's obliviousness to the fact that he is, like, so handsy with her throughout the whole thing, and, you know, her attempts to, like, push Ty onto him, and he's just
1: politely doing what Cher says kind of thing, and then, yeah. I I am glad, in terms of Elton, that they do cut some of the, like, some of the plot stuff from... From Emma, because mm-hmm. in in the book, like the the movie follows that entire thing where like the the share alike, the Elton alike, and the mm-hmm. and the Ty alike have that same love triangle type yeah. deal. But like, there's a whole other plot point where I, I have to imagine it would have been like Elton. Actually, I guess they do keep it in where Elton ends up dating Amber, and Amber is the Jane Fairfax type person in the. Yeah. In the movie, but like that is an entire plot point that like continues out through the entire movie, uh, throughout the entire book, kind of thing where like yeah. they're still butting heads against each other. It's just kind also- of
0: like in the background in the mo- like Elton stops being a character of any relevance. I mean, actually, this Ty is like still <laughs> like she's still got the role in with the homies tape, like however, and she's like I would listen to it every night and everything, and I just to very slightly loop back, share knows better than to burn a plastic tape in a fire. (laughs) Like, you know, just little touches like that. Yeah, it it is just kind of funny seeing this, like, tiny moment blown out. And, and, like, it's also, like, kind of unconventional to have Ty sincerely actually fall for Elton after she's like, ah, I guess. Like, (laughs) when she clearly likes Travis and then she's, like, all about Elton for the rest of the movie and it's not until, like, Josh makes an impression on her kind of thing.
1: And I have to imagine some of that is, like, the sincerity in terms of... How much she likes share and trust yes. shared judgment yeah. is part of that, and like, yeah. I think that's what makes it work. Is obviously the novel Ember is all about matchmaking and people falling in love with the wrong person, mm. but in the end, everyone falls in love with the right person, yeah. and it's all well and good. However, clueless obviously adds in the wrinkle of the fact that Share and Josh are semi-related but not really.
0: <laughs> yeah, like the length of their parents marriage uh, is probably the key to all of how creepy that is or isn't. I think she says, like, months but I assume she's exaggerating because, I like... I yeah, if,
1: if, they, <laughs> if they grew up together and they'd lived in the same house for ten years, then it's like, mm. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, like, he had a room
0: in the house. It's like, have your old room back. But, like, the fact that... I mean, Mel says, like, you divorce wives, not children. But the fact that he's still having Josh come visit and, and like, work with him and stuff so frequently does sort of suggest a multi year marriage rather than a multi month marriage. But
1: who knows? Like he maybe just likes the kid, you know? <laughs> like, maybe um, they got along very well in their couple of months of courtship. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean like obviously Emma is all about this matchmaking stuff. But like I don't the the tire like character in yeah. in Emma is is similarly kind of like just kind of swept up in in all of these different things where like she just ends up like she found her match in the first five minutes and keeps on exactly. falling in love with the wrong people because yeah. <laughs> Emma keeps recommending her the wrong people or because she keeps hanging out with Emma and meeting yeah. the Joshes of the world and the Eltons of the world and it's just yeah I, I I like it because they are good matchmakers or or Cher and Emma are both good matchmakers mm. but they're also like completely oblivious and think that they know better than everyone yeah, so yeah. will they yeah go? like.
0: And, and, like, Cher does go on a bit of a journey and, and, and changes and stuff. And it's like, you, you would think that the Cher from the last sort of 25, 30 minutes would have immediately seen the chemistry between Ty and Travis at the start in their very first meeting. Um, and and they like, yeah, no, yeah, go for it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, a little and Meyer, uh a role that he he be out Seth Green, Owen Wilson and Jamie Kennedy. Uh, a lot of, of people auditioned for a lot of these roles. Ben Affleck, Jeremy Renner and Zach Braff went for Paul Rudd's role. Uh, Terrence Howard and Dave Chappelle went for Donald Faison's. Uh, as you can imagine, a wealth of skinny white women were considered for Cher. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, Angelina Jolie, Reese Witherspoon, Gwyneth Paltrow, Zoe Deschanel. I can't imagine anyone else but Alicia Silverstone as Cher, and it's kind of wild she didn't become a bigger star, because she is so implicitly this character, and it is I think it there is more to I mean, we've kind of been talking about it. there's more to the character than it would seem. Like if you just said, Oh, go play a Ditzy Valley girl, I'm sure there are plenty of people that could do that, but there's just such a specificity to the way she talks and the narration aspect and I think this has come up before. I think narration is actually an underrated skill for an actor to have. I don't think all of them are great at it. And she does have that in a monologue and she is really good at it and yeah, they're like she wears an un, a surprising number of hats, I think, in the movie. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, she obviously, what should have been her big, big box office break should have been Batman and Robin, but that film <laughs> is I mean, what that,
1: it is. <laughs> that has to be the film that kind of like kills it for her because yeah. like she has clueless; it's not a mega hit, and then she signs on immediately to play I mean, third or fourth lead in that movie. Yeah, I, I, mean, guess, she, I guess she, yeah, she's playing
0: a Batgirl. I think they go with Batgirl, don't they? But it's a completely amalgam it's just lady bat character. (laughs) Like Yeah, and and like women are disproportionately punished for box office failures compared to men, I would say. Because you know, this sort of catapults her into a rising star and then Batman kills her career for like well over a decade. I mean, and and the then you... she's an older woman in Hollywood, and all the bullshit that goes with that. And,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, like you—you you just look at her career list, and when you were reading through all those people who like almost got the roles, that's it's like. Mm-hmm. Reprise role it's Seth Green and it's like oh well those those two end up acting together quite a lot in later years. Yeah. When you say like Zach Braff auditioned for roles and you're like well Zach Braff and Donal and obviously did Scrubs. Oh uh, we could have had long. an
0: early Scrubs uh, <laughs> pairing a decade yeah. early. Yeah.
1: I mean you even go for like Seth Green Sarah Michelle Gellar for, for mm-hmm. Buffy yeah. and it's just like it's just so interesting how insular all yeah. of this feels yeah. in terms of like how these people are acting off against each other and I'm just looking at Alicia Silverstone's. list of her credits and like 2004 she's in Scooby-Doo which obviously if like again so Michelle Gellar and Seth Green it's just it's weird that all of these people kind of got pigeonholed into the same like six or seven different areas like I feel like Dave Dave Chappelle and Paul Rudd's the only two that kind of like break out of that and Dave Chappelle kind of fucked off for 10 years (laughs) he did Paul Rudd's second movie but first one to get released I think he
0: filmed Halloween 6 first but this came out first, so as far as most people are concerned, this is their first movie exposure to Paul Rudd. We can talk about some Paul Rudd.
1: But Paul Rudd's career is fascinating. And yes, it's so interesting here because obviously, in these early years, I feel like he's very much kind of going like more dramatic, more straight man kind of roles because he's doing things like Halloween Six, as you say. <laughs> He's in Romeo and Juliet, and I feel like he doesn't actually get to be, like, the Paul Rudd who is a comedic actor until Wet Hot American Summer. Well, yeah. Obviously, he's fucking incredible in. Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway. Well, I think I think his whole deal is, uh, it, he's kind of like John C. Riley in that, like, he is a legit actor who takes legit projects, but he's very good friends with a lot of big comedians, and he is a natural comedian as well. So you see him drift between the two. But, like, he is a Shakespearean-trained actor, like, He is, at times, seems, like, laughably overqualified for some of the roles he lands, but then he is also just, I think it's just, he's just a suspiciously nice, charming man in real life, and that just shines through in the comedy, and then, like, I feel it was around the kind of early-ish to mid-2000s that somebody was like, Paul Rudd's really fucking funny, let's make him do nothing but comedy for a while,
1: (laughs) Imagine that's because he's hanging out with. I mean, because obviously he went hot American summer, and yeah. then three years later he's got Anchorman, yeah. and that kind of like lodges him in in the Apple Tower verse where he's doing Forty Year Old Virgin, and obviously gets to play the lead in in like role models and stuff like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. but like even stuff like you know Friends, like he, he learns lands that supporting role late into Friends that was really popular. Yeah, and and like I Love You Man with with, with um, Jason Segel and stuff, and like the. A lot of the press. I remember seeing a lot of the press that they would do, and just the two of them improvising off each other, doing that. And it's like, oh, he's just a naturally funny person. Like, and and I think he can just do anything. And the other thing beyond being just like suspicious, you know, one of the four good white men or whatever. <laughs> he doesn't age, <laughs> and like you know, if you look at him completely side by side here versus some of his more recent roles, obviously he has a bit. But it is uncanny that like. <laughs> You know, it just looks like Paul Rudd, but a little, with with more sleep,
1: I guess. It is bizarre, and I, I have to say, I am I am thankful that he is one of the, the MCU actors who kind of mm-hmm. does get to do films other than his Marvel obligations yeah. at the same time. I, I don't think he's made great choices since he got cast in Atman where it's like, you look at it, it's like, oh, he was in Mute. He was not Mute. Uh, and, and he's going to be in Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is still like a... Bizarre movie that I've got no idea how that's Going to mm. turn out I'm going to uh, predict not well but has some moments <laughs> But the thing is like, It feels feels weird that Ghostbusters Afterlife Is basically going to make a Amblin movie which yeah. is Fundamentally not what Ghostbusters was But like that's the thing is, like, it, I miss that and I guess part of it is Because of the death of like the, the Mid-budget comedy movie that Paul Rudd could be the lead in mm-hmm. But like I would love to see another Rommel's, another I Love You Man. I don't think either of those movies did like spectacularly well, but like no, but they're yeah, they're, they're good. Like <laughs> they're a fun time. Uh, yeah, yeah, good, good, solid, respectable.
0: Yeah,
1: like little comedy movies kind of thing. But again, no one wants to make a forty million dollar movie that will make mm. ninety million dollars at the box office nowadays. When you can put Paul Rudd in a in a CGI costume and make. Like five hundred million dollars or whatever, and he he still does
0: like a a lot of smaller like indie adjacent work um, to this
1: day. But yeah, like where he ends up now, yeah,
0: it it just he is still pulling down like roles in big movies. It's just like yeah, once he was like you could put him as the lead and people would go see it kind of thing. And that's kind of vanished a bit because of the nature. I feel like Jason Bateman ate a lot of his lunch, unfortunately, because Paul Rudd is better than Jason Bateman. But But um, I mean, game night is fucking great,
1: though. Game night is great, but like, how good would it be if Jason if Paul Rudd were in it? You know, that is true. I, I feel like that's the difference is that like Bateman is the more sarcastic, standard. Yeah. Like he is the the leading man who who can kind of be a comic foil, but like Paul yeah. Rudd, if you put him in a movie, you kind of want him to do a little bit more comedy, but yeah. Um, did you watch both of the Wet Hot American Summer reboots, or did you watch neither or one? Or I watched. So did they? Oh god, right. <laughs> Let me try. And they change. did. They did first day of camp, which was the yes. prequel series, and then they did Ten Years Later, where right. they they pretended that um, Bradley Cooper got plastic surgery. To, yes. Um, right. Then I watched the prequel
0: one, and I I think I got halfway through Ten Years Later. I think. Yeah. Oh god, the re... <laughs> The prequel's great. Like, the, the the child actor getting her period and emerging from a cubicle as an adult woman It's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, Um. but yes, Paul Rudd in this movie, devastatingly handsome, just great. And, like, he and Silverstone have just fantastic chemistry even before the idea of a romance is introduced. Like, when they're just around the house dunking on each other when she's, like, calling him, like, a grungy, like, poser, like, you know, he has to be listening to Radiohead and stuff like that. And, and, I think and, they get
1: so much mileage out of that Radiohead song. he like, plays, like, five times
0: over the course of the song. I know. He's also listening to, like, Counting Crows and, you know, all this sort of Alterna
1: rock kind of stuff. And Just, like, so when does this movie come out? Because obviously Fake Plastic Trees is it's either late 94 or it's, like... Uh, July mm-hmm. 95, this is. Yeah, so so this... So Fake Plastic Trees came out in May of 95.
0: hmm
1: Yeah. They
0: snuck a few things
1: in, I think. Like, I
0: can imagine they had some lines that were, like, highlighted as, like, maybe change closer to the time kind of thing, because they do sneak in some, like, quite timely references And, like, soundtracks can be easily, you know, edited in post, so. and they're entirely in post anyway.
1: But, yeah, I, yeah. I, I do I do miss this kind of era of soundtracks where it's, like, mm-hmm. you don't... I feel like you don't very often now get a, a soundtrack that's a snapshot of a era in time like book smart feels very much like a this is what high school kids would have been listening to in in 2019 or whatever and and simply like this feels like what high school kids would be listening to in mm. in 95 kind of deal yeah like they go and see the mighty mighty boss tones for fuck's sake <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know like super grass and but I, say, I, like, I, I do miss people being able to make this kind of playlist, because, like, mm-hmm. does Superbad do anything like this, or are they just, like, they're Super like Well, Superbad guys. has that,
0: like, almost ironic sixty seventies 70s soundtrack, doesn't it? That's, like, yeah. one of the gimmicks.
1: Which, I get, probably reflects more on the fact that like, the people making this movie, are old. Or, make, or making that movie, <laughs> yeah, are old, whereas this is, like, yeah. she is, like, Amy Heckling is fundamentally trying to, like, ape a style of, like, what I, teenagers I, to listen to.
0: I feel Superbad, like, almost openly and defiantly is not trying to be young you know it's like it's very clear that these roles were written for uh Seth Rogen and well I don't think Evan Goldberg was ever going to actually be in it but you know like that 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 it is more about the adult cast hanging out and doing their jokes and it just happened to have some younger actors in the lead roles and yeah whereas like like you said Booksmart feels like more authentically young this feels more authentically yeah i mean you know you still as i said have adults playing teenagers but it, it captures a sort of youthful spirit more effectively i would say and part of that is the soundtrack but yeah just like them them hanging out and like fighting over the the what to watch on the tv and all of that and then and like it gets into this you know, he's jealous of Christian, who we need to talk about in a minute. Uh, <laughs> she's jealous of Ty. Like, you know, he she invites him to stay there because he's helping her father with, with a particular legal case. And, and then, like, his him being a little bit mean to her or saying she's not a good person, like, actually bothers her into changing. And she's thinking about it a lot. And you get that, like, uh, Gigi homage as she's walking around shopping and has her epiphany in front of the fountain. Um, I, I,
1: I love I mean I love that shot like, I love The, it too. the fountain <laughs> Glowing with light Behind it I mean th- This is a point To shout out Bill Pope mm-hmm. For this movie Who obviously Like the year after this Goes on to work With the Wachowskis And like becomes Their go-to cinematographer For a while Before eventually Becoming Edgar Wright's Go-to cinematographer Mm-hmm and is now doing the cinematography on Shang Chi. Like, like, it's, I mean, obviously, like he he's had this like incredible career, where he goes from comedy to action, back mm. to comedy, and now is kind that's of that's
0: cool. That, like, that must be cool to be able to look back at what you've done in your life. And like, I've been, you know, I've been to every corner of movies, kind of. Thing.
1: When when you list his credits as like he he was the DP on Clueless on spider-man 2 on the matrix on Mm. team america world police on scott pilgrim like yeah like truly like incredible kind of like portfolio of movies that all look very visually distinct um Mm. i went to a 10-year anniversary of scott pilgrim the other week and, and he was there and it was that depressing thing where like edgar wright had brought him up on stage to like Come on, let, like we've got Bill Pope here. Ask him a question for Bill Pope, and then everything oh, was yeah, like. you told me. Yeah. <laughs> and everything was like, where can I send my script to? Because I'm a first-time <sighs> scriptwriter, and it's like you've got the guy who fucking DP'd the Matrix. I know,
0: and I know. Yeah, but but this is the problem. Young-ish film enthusiasts think everything lives and dies by director slash writers, and like one good script, and they have no appreciation of like technical filmmaking. I think is the problem. <laughs>
1: anyway. Yeah, because so. I mean, that's the thing is this movie does have like visual comic pieces. Like, I don't think it's quite as playful as Edgar Wright gets later on in his career in terms of like no. the staging of of physical comedy or like or, or playing with the frame and stuff like that. But there's yeah. definitely like fun little moments, like the uh, as if early on in the movie where like that guy <laughs> just, just Shops like, him out of screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it, it, it does like some more playful things with with how it's framing. Yeah, so yeah,
0: yeah, and I, I i mean, this isn't quite the same, but I really like, like, you pan across all the girls waiting to hit a tennis ball, and, like, they're all, it's like a fucking, like, they're all coordinated, and they're holding purses and on phones and everything, and, like, running through all the excuses why they can't participate and everything. But, yeah, devastatingly, Paul, uh, Hanson, Paul Rudd, yes, they do end up together. I mean... I feel Paul Rudd again, like an underrated like romantic lead. Like like he is he's a good on screen kisser. He is a good like I don't know like they they do that montage while she's walking around of like all these moments where he like you know those, those those charming eyes like looking up at her a lot and stuff. And it's like yeah, like he's not like he's not like a hunk, but like I feel every woman has a bit of a crush on Paul Rudd. So you can just I feel like.
1: I feel like there's a terrible version of his career where mm. he ends up in like a Matthew McConaughey type hole.
0: <laughs> yeah, but how good would it be with Paul Rudd and in True, in True Detect? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's, but that's the thing is, like, I feel like a lot of these guys who get pigeonholed in yeah, yeah, rom coms yeah. end up doing like really shitty rom coms. Like everyone's got like one great rom com in them. Yeah. And yeah. then it feels like you get typecast in that. Whereas Paul I Rudd f- kind of gets away with it where this movie isn't really a rom com. Like the mm. romance isn't. The point because it's so funny on the edges, and he kind of gets away and gets to do that yeah. um, like his his big romantic role. Really, is either like you can say I Love You Man, where it's like more of a, a bromance, I think, yes. or it's Friends, where he spends yeah. like three seasons on that show dating Phoebe, and like, yeah, that's yeah. the closest he gets to.
0: Uh, he did do uh, is it the Good Girl where he's like paired with Jennifer Aniston in a movie. I don't think it did very well, but like. He did have his shot at making some rom-coms in the sort of late '90s, early thousands. You
1: say you say that I think of Wanderlust as like the movie. He's sure, been yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I think he's done he, a couple, but yeah. But like, yeah, I feel like if he did do a romantic comedy, they've got a little bit of edge to them, and it's sort of like this yeah. is '40, where it's like, yeah. let's do a movie where Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann have been married for <laughs> too long, <laughs> too long. Yes, as uh,
0: John Apatow continues to put his wife in things with his friends. Yeah, Are they divorced now? No,
1: oh. no, no, they're oh. together.
0: Okay, anyway. Um, I mentioned Christian. We must, we simply must talk about Christian. The hilariously, obviously gay from the second you set eyes on him, Christian. I assume they cast him because Cher says how she has such a thing for Luke Perry, and it's like, you know, the Luke Perry that a lot of us... You know, tragically, he passed away um, a few years ago. But, you know, like, older Luke Barry tends to be people's image of him. But, you know, like, 90s Luke Barry with the bigger hair and, and, and stuff. Like, I, I guess he's vaguely adjacent to him. But, yes, just hilariously, obviously gay. And Cher completely oblivious to this fact. Um, and it's just, there is just a bombardment of clues before they, before they reveal that. Um, one of my favourites being when she's, like... He he goes to the bar, like, they go dancing, and he, like, a girl comes to hit on him, and he, like, brushes her hand off his shoulder, and he's like, see, look, like, he's so loyal to me, ignoring the fact that he is then, like, outrageously flirting with the barman. <laughs> well,
1: like, every single guy you see him talk to is is... A guy, essentially, like <laughs> like he's dancing with Cher and then gets distracted by a guy and starts doing the exact same dance moves against the guy, Yeah, and like, he's like just dancing on his own He won't gone, stop like... dancing, yes <laughs> and he wants and then... to
0: go to the after party and do E, probably his car, his like outdated 50s, 60s vocabulary kind of thing
1: <laughs> the Last thing is, like, when he shows up he's obviously doing like the, the 50s, 60s type deal where he's like wearing the tank top and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, I love this movie' sense of style. Yeah. <laughs> because every character feels so visually distinct from each other. Yes. And you really get a vibe for their personality based on their wardrobe. And I mean, you even
0: get Cher saying that like, she admires Dion's like, brave fashion choices and stuff like that. It's not like they dress identically to each
1: other. The actor who plays Christian has mm-hmm. done, like, nothing else. Mm-hmm. Like at all. Like I'm looking at his Wikipedia and like every single thing apart from three hasn't got hyperlinks to it. Mm. A lot of them are just called clueless documentaries that he did in like two (laughs) thousand five. Apparently he owned a defunct fantasy sport wagering website. Wow. But like and like you know, the scene where he
0: comes over for what she thinks is going to be the night she loses her virginity. Her father (laughs) happens to be out of town. He wants to come over and watch videos. She designs a lighting scheme with the She uh burns whatever that is in the in the oven, um, and she's wearing this like ridiculously like sexy dress and he's just like, Let's go watch movies and his choices are some like it hot and a particular scene in Spartacus that is uh homoerotically charged, uh, and her falling off the bed is a fantastic piece of physical comedy <laughs> where she like goes to flip her hair back and just completely rolls off the bed. Yeah, and I love that it's Murray that is the one that tells them. And, like, Dion is then like, the boy can dress. (laughs) And Cher even says he dresses better than I do and
1: everything. Just a great little... Yeah, a a fun little diversion. Obviously very different to... I mean, I can't actually remember what character Christian is supposed to be in. Frank Churchill... Oh, he's secretly, secretly engaged in in Emma, but obviously they're making secretly gay. In... Well, no
0: one was gay before like the nineteen eighties, so that
1: is very true.
0: You know. <laughs> and lesbians were invented in the nineties. So it's, it's all canon. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. a great little character, and like even when like he calls her, and he's like at an art gallery, and he's standing in front of a, a painting of two men embracing, like all, like they really lay it on thick, and. That she just completely has no idea is very funny to me. And then as soon as she realises and gets over it, like, he's, like, her best friend. like And it's like, oh, it's all fine, it turns out. (laughs) I mentioned Marie very briefly. Stacey Dash and Donald Faison have incredible chemistry. It it is kind of a forerunner to to the Carla and Turk relationship, but, like, Dion is a little bit more vapid than Carla, but just, you know... Arguing about misogynistic terms, and him shaving his head, and her threatening to call his mum, and then almost dying on the freeway, and like her te- her virginity went from technical to non-existent and <laughs> stuff like that.
1: Dolph and another one who do- hasn't really aged, <laughs> I know as yeah. well. Yeah. Like, like, and even the bit where they they make a deal about like him shaving his head. I'm like, have we seen his hair in this movie? Like, he keeps on wearing these hats. And yeah, I'm like,
0: I don't think we've actually seen. I Donald think that Faisal's might be hair. the point. Is that like he is bald and they're hiding it and then like yeah he 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 adopts that iconic look that you will see him in over and over and over again you know like they are very much side characters like like Dion is, is Cher's best friend but like Ty has a far bigger role and stuff like that so they are very much I mean she's there a lot and she has some great lines and she she is really good in it I think but yeah uh the two of them are
1: just kind of off to the side but they are great and like yeah, it makes it makes more sense that Stacey Dash doesn't really have a career in comparison to, mm. to Brittany Murphy, who does. Like, probably of the female cast, Brittany Murphy has the best career out of any of them. Yes, coming out of this, like, uh, Alicia Silverstone, obviously, kind of like it. Hollywood just kind of fucks her over, whereas mm-hmm. Brittany Murphy's doing like Girl Interrupted and Eight Mile and has obviously got um. The, the voice acting job on King of the Hill and stuff like that. I and do find
0: it very funny that she and Brecklemeyer voiced the same character in King of the Hill um, I, I, before and after puberty. They voiced the same role. I mean, she she obviously is more famous for doing Luann, but uh, yeah, she also did the the pre-pubescent version of, of his his voice role, which is very funny to me.
1: Just completely tragic. What happened yes. to her? Yes, yes. Um, like I, I, it's one of the. One of the things where like it's hard to imagine her career kind of like reaching a, a new a new height or anything like that based on like where it had been going for the last couple of years, but just mm. deeply deeply tragic that like she dies the way that she does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: there's no real segue out of that, but. Um... Yeah, a I, I good I, a good go performance. Because I feel
1: like when we when we discussed Ty early, we kind of skipped over the Brittany Murphy. Yeah, role. yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, Murphy, yeah. I, she is someone who's a little bit of a chameleon, where like she can play this kind of like oblivious role, but then also I, I feel like can play kind of like the the stunner kind of role mm-hmm. or like the romantic lead in it. Like she she has got those comic chops, mm-hmm. but also can play your romantic lead or like your dramatic lead. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you talked earlier about like our
0: favorite lines, like. She has a couple of mine. I've never had straight friends before. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Also, like, the way... It's not the line itself, but how dramatically it's played. You're a virgin who can't drive. That was way
1: harsh, Ty. is just... (laughs) It's oh,
0: chef kiss Love my partner likes
1: to point out to me that every single time that she like makes a crack at someone's virginity Brittany Murphy was also a virgin who couldn't drive when yes. she had to say that line on set because Indeed. of like <laughs> I, I, either how, how old would Brittany Murphy have been actually I'm now intrigued so she would have been like 16-17 at the time of the movie
0: uh, yeah 17-18 oh at the time of filming probably 16-17 yeah. yeah so she's probably one of the younger like age appropriate members of the cast yeah Yeah, and and also, like, when when Cher is saying you have something special no one else at the school has, she's like, oh, I'm not a virgin. (laughs) Just a nice little misunderstanding there.
1: Have you got a couple? Oh, God. Uh, So, obviously, I mentioned the uh, anything happens to my daughter, i got a 45 and a shovel. I doubt anybody would miss you. Yeah. Uh, you see how picky I am my shoes and they only go on my feet. Yes, is, I have is that one written down when she's debating friend. losing her virginity, yes. <laughs> um, sometimes you have to show a little skin. This reminds boys, boys of being naked and then they think of sex and anything you can do to draw attention to your mouth is good. Yes, yes. Um, I like when she's asking Josh about doing
0: something good for the planet and he says, have you considered sterilization? <laughs> Um, he he delivers probably Paul Rubb delivers my favourite line in the movie and it's in a scene that almost breaks the movie in that it feels I can feel the awkwardness at the wedding at the end when he is sat with Donald Faison and, and Meyer, and he says geez I'm bugging myself and it's like you are the whitest man who has ever lived, aren't you? Um, just just him, the, the discomfort with which he attempts to deliver that is, is is very funny to me, but not for an intentional reason, I don't think.
1: Um, I, I enjoy. He's a disco dancing Oscar Wilde reading Streisand ticket holding friend of Dorothy know what I'm saying. He's a um, cake boy. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's aged both horribly and very well. <laughs> just in terms of the fact that like, the movie just kind of like doesn't deal with him being like, there's no. Judgment for him being gay—it's no, just quite no. funny. That, like it, it goes for all these stereotypes, and it's like—I mean, um,
0: you, okay. you, you are kind of fearing the F slur is coming, kind of thing, <laughs> especially from a character that's supposed to be a jock, you know. Like, but you know, it, it is handled with like slightly
1: more um, grace than it might be. Yeah, yeah. Um, my plastic surgeon doesn't want me doing any activity where balls are flying at my nose. Well, there goes your social life. Is... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, you know, I, I've i said about bugging, like, there's so much slang in this, like, <laughs> calling good-looking women Bettys, saying that Josh is kind of a Baldwin, I think they coined that as a, a thing. Um, surfing the Crimson Wave as a euphemism for being on her period,
1: uh, pretty good. Uh, yeah, just... Yeah. I remember at school everyone doing the, like, finger W whatever kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that was that was hot for like a, a, a year or so or whatever. <laughs> yeah. also I think like the
0: the the way cell phones, mobile phones are are, are treated in this movie shows its age as well, that like they're a relatively recent obsession kind of thing where like, you know, you have that scene where the father says no phones at dinner and then all three of their phones ring, kind of thing. <laughs> and then they just abandon that one immediately. Uh,
1: there's, I mean, there's the great scene where, like, she's on the phone to, to Dion, and then, like, they just meet up in the hallway and hang up from the call having so each like, they cannot be apart from each other.
0: <laughs> and then she says, I'll call you as she's walking away.
1: And it's like, you were just on the... <laughs> yeah. Anyway. A special shout out to Travis's tardy speech Uh, I would like to say this Tardiness is not something you can do on your own Many, many people contributed to my tardiness I would like to thank my parents for never giving me a ride to school The LA City bus driver who took a chance On an unknown kid And last but not least, the wonderful crew from McDonald's Who spent hours making those Egg McMuffins Without which I might never be tardy
0: Well, there you go. There is Ben's uh, submission for best monologue uh, of the podcast. Uh, like th- Billy
1: Holiday, I love him.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, so, I mean... It's a quotable movie, and I feel yes. like it's one of those things where, like, I know Mean Girls has also got its fair share of, like, things that have permeated the culture, like, stop trying to make fetch happen is obviously, like,
0: yeah.
1: the line from that movie. And then, um, like, that... The never-ending
0: meme of like, oh, so you agree, and then you insert whatever you're dunking on this political figure about kind of thing. Yeah, um, or like,
1: like on this date he asked me what day it was, and yeah, yeah, yeah. go Glen Coco. Like, like, I think, I do think Clueless is a little bit more, because of how heightened it is, it's able to get away with that like rapid fire joke thing. It feels more of a precursor to 30 Rock than Mean Girls does, <laughs> in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Just in terms of, like, it, it's just joke, 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 joke. We're just, like, we're not going to stop, really. But then, yeah. when we do stop, there's going to be a lot of heart here. And I think, again, that's what makes this movie...
0: Yeah. And it's I like, think that's why it makes the list for me, is, like, it's not only just, like, a, a, a time capsule for the 90s. It's not just funny. It is that level of heart and that, like, underrated level of sophisticated writing kind of thing. Um, in Um, For, a, like, the least sophisticated subject matter in the world. And, and yeah, that's... I mean, it's one that, like... I could see, like, saying, oh yeah, Clueless, great movie, and somebody being like,
1: Pfft, what? But, fuck you, here it is, on the list. <laughs> um, special shout-out to, to Miss Geist being actually named Twink Kaplan. I know, yes, a producer on the movie, I believe. <laughs> yes, yes, I mean, and, and also, also Wallace Shawn just... Uh, yeah. I, I really enjoy Wallace Shawn showing up in things, even if... Yeah, his uh, just sort of, like consternation, uh,
0: just just flabbergasted by all these people in front of him. <laughs> it's just yeah. like,
1: doing the Lord's work. Yeah. This movie, Good super movie. 90s, like, the, easily the most 90s movie we're going to cover on this. Like, I feel like yes. <laughs> every other movie that we've covered kind of ends away with it. Like, maybe they are more like generic. Like, you watch Groundhog Day and there's nothing particularly 90s no. about any of those things. Like, they're a lot more kind of like, lost in time you can imagine them being mm. written for a previous era like even yeah, like yeah. Goodfellas obviously is like a, a period piece in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and I think yeah, Clueless is the one yeah. it's nice that it's sort of like the midway point and it's like the one that leans so truly yeah. and utterly into being a piece of 90s ephemera yeah there are a couple coming up as well but like this is
0: yeah this is his 90s this is dripping with 90s um, speaking of what's coming up we've been teasing it for quite a while now I am phenomenally excited to hear Ben's soliloquy next week as we discuss Babe. I kind of don't want you to say anything about it now, because I, I really want to really know. Uh, a movie I enjoyed, and have never thought about since, and Ben has consistently... <laughs> it's been on every version of this list that I've yes. posited to you. Yes, so I will say no more, uh, because... I'm just gonna say, next week the intro might be quite brief, as I immediately toss over to Ben to just start talking about Babe. Yeah,
1: but that is next week. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna say, I'm just gonna say one thing. Yes, this is the third five-star movie that will be recovering for this <laughs> miniseries: Goodfellas, <laughs> Chunky Express, Babe, The Mount Rushmore. The, the Mount Rushmore. Movies. Maybe there'll be a fourth five-star movie coming up in the back half. I don't know. <laughs> i do i do know i do know the list and i know my thoughts and all the movies that we've got coming up but babe is the third five-star movie that we're covering for this mini well i if you
0: can all contain your excitement to hear the justification of babe being a five-star movie just seven little days to wait depending on when you listen to this one of course until then benjamin can you answer will there be movies uh
1: no because i'm totally bugging <laughs>
0: good good bye everyone <laughs>